All right, so how's everybody doing? Good, yeah? Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is David Ahn. I'm that guy who, you know, leads praise every week. Uh, it felt good to just sit down there and, and just worship God, and I never know what the PowerPoints look like, so that's, that's, it's, you know, good job, tech team. Nice. There's like, there's like moving uh, images in the back, and it's not like black and white anymore, you know, it's blue, and yeah, very professional, very professional. Um, yeah, so again, my name is David Ahn. Uh, I've been in Korea for about two years now. I came Octo- October 2011. Uh, I'm serving as an intern pastor at New Philadelphia Church, uh, which is a church that is overseeing uh, Mays Campus Ministries. And yeah, I, went, uh, I grew up in Philadelphia in uh, Pennsylvania in the States. Anyone from East Coast or, yeah? All right, that's what I'm talking about right there. So yeah, I grew up there. I went to a uh, state University called Rutgers from New Jersey. Any, any Rutgers? Oh, okay, we'll talk later. So, yeah, I went to Rutgers. Went to Rutgers? All right, all right, there you go. So, some Rutgers pride. Are you rah-rah? Um, yeah, I studied accounting, and I somehow ended up in Korea. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I grew up in Philadelphia, and uh, I have... Uh, two older sisters, uh, my one sister Gloria, she's six years older than me, and my oldest sister Grace is nine years older than me. So there's a bit of an age gap. I was kind of like the baby of the family. I was the magne of the magnes. And, uh, you know, I went to a small uh, private Christian uh, elementary and, and middle school. Uh, so when I went there, all my uh, friends that went to school, they didn't live in the same town as me. They weren't in the same neighborhood. So you know, all my friends at school were far from me. You know, my sisters were mad old, so, you know, they didn't want to play with me. So, needless to say, I had a lot of time by myself as a kid, okay? I played with a lot of Legos. Anybody like Legos? Yeah, I love Legos. You know, I played with um, a lot of, like, Transformer toys. toys and uh, Yeah, it was just a lot of fun. And uh, let me tell you, you get really creative when you're uh, bored and by yourself. You know, uh, and I think I was about, I think I was third grade. So I was like nine, ten-ish, and uh, my parents weren't home often, too. My, uh, yeah, they were gone a lot, so I was just by myself, bored. And I just felt like, you know, I want to be a good son today. I'm going to clean the house, all right? You know, a little kid home alone by himself trying to clean the house. And I was like, you know, I'm going to start with the basement. So I went to the basement, and it's like this tile floor where uh, you sweep up, but then you also, like, mop. So, you know, you, you can mop. So I was like, all right, I just swept up. And I started mopping, and I was like, man, this is so tiring and heavy. And uh, we have a garage. We have uh, the laundry room, laundry room, laundry room. And, you know, we do the the pale up in there, you know, laundry, head talk, you know what I'm saying? And then uh, my dad's, uh, like, office is there with all his books. And I was just like, you know, I'm just going to be a really good son. Let's mop. Again, it's so tiring. And I had to get so much water, so I was like, you know what? Let me save some time. I got the hose from my backyard. <laughs> I walked in through the side door, and you know, just a little bit. You know, I was just like, you know, a little bit of water here, a little, water, little bit of water there, and I was just mopping. And next thing I know, I'm just like slipping and sliding. I'm having the time of my life. I'm just like, woo, and you know, cleaning. And you know, when my parents came, they were they weren't that happy. Let me tell you that they were. Uh, Actually, they're, they're pretty mad at me. I think I got a meme on my... Uh, my dad used to hit me with a, um, 
with a back scratcher. It was kind of nasty. It was like this old back scratcher, and then you know, they'd hit my hands with it. And then if I didn't put my hands out, they just they just manhandled me and um, uh, hit my my buttocks. But um, oh snap! I think I did this last time too. We gotta we gotta have a better stand. Um, yeah. So you know, I'm sharing this because you know every single one of us we got some creativity in us. Amen. Right, we're really creative, and, you know, God is the creator God. Amen? And when he made us, he said he made us in his image, and there's creativity in us. And what we do with that creative creativity, a lot of times we apply it to things that we want to do, like, in my example, clean the house, you know, or we, we apply it to our dreams. We apply it to a lot of things that uh, we want to do for ourselves, right? You know, the mind, it's, it's an amazing thing where we could just – Think of a lot of different things, and uh, just again, you know, when I was a little kid, man, I just loved basketball. Anybody here like basketball? Yeah, I love basketball. My uh, cousins, two older cousins, they used to live with me when I was in middle school, and that's when I got into NBA, and that's when I uh, National Basketball Association for those people who don't know what NBA is, uh, the best basketball league in the world, and you know, my team was playing Philadelphia 76ers, and they're horrible right now. They're like. I think they're the worst team, and literally the worst team in the league. So sad. But, uh, you know, that's when I got into basketball, and I was really like, my dream is to go to the NBA. Like, I was going to, I said, I'm going to be the first Korean American <laughs> to play with Allen Iverson, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, all these. I was, LeBron James wasn't there back then, but, you know, I was like, I'm going to be the first Korean American to play in the NBA. And then in 10th grade, I stopped growing. And uh, actually, ninth grade, I was 5'8 and 3 quarters. Right now, I'm 5'9, which is like 179 centimeters, which is, uh, yeah, everyone here uses the metric system except for the U.S. So, yeah, I, I'm around there. So I only grew like 2 centimeters since I was like 14, 15. But, <laughs> man, what's up with that? So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, then I, once I stopped growing, I was like, all right, KBL, Korean basketball league. I'm going I'm to move to Korea. Forget the NBA. You know, I'm going to be the best Korean-American basketball player in the KBL. I think I, I don't even know if that's what it's called, but yeah, the KBL. And uh, again, I'm sharing this because we all have the capacity to, you know, wish or think of really big things, right? Uh, and that takes me to our passage. So if you have your Bibles, uh, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 14 to 21. If you're there, say, I'm there. I'm there. All right. Uh, before I read, let me just pray real quick. Uh, let's bow our heads. Uh, God, we just thank you uh, for the word that's going to be preached tonight. God, I just pray that every heart is open. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We invite more of you. We thank you that you're already here. And God, I just pray a revelation of Jesus Christ upon every single person here. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so let me read this for you. Verse 14, Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and in your inner being, 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So, I'm going to focus on verse 20 tonight. And I actually like the NIV translation better. This was the ESV where it says, Now to him who could do immeasurably more than what we can ask or imagine, opposed to the ESV, uh, more abundantly, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But uh, the title of my message tonight is that, Immeasurably More. So write that down if you're taking notes. You know, write it down on your iPhone, your, your uh, what, what else is there? Samsung Galaxy. Yeah, write it down on a, on a paper and pen if anyone still uses that these days. Um, yeah, I, I type. All right, yes. Tradition, yes. Um, yeah, so what's happening here is, you know, this, this book or this epistle, this letter, Ephesians, right? Paul, this guy, Apostle Paul, he was, uh, you know, not one of the original disciples of Jesus, but he had that title, Apostle. And, you know, he wrote like half the New Testament, and he's writing to this church in Ephesus. And just to give you a little bit of context, a little bit of background, the whole gist of this letter, he's just telling them about God's eternal plan for humanity. He's saying, let me tell you what, you know, God's been uh, planning for this whole time, even before the world was uh, created. And pretty much he's saying, let me tell you about the mystery of God that was kept hidden for ages and ages. He's saying, you know, the God that, you know, even as I, uh, as, even as you read the parables, even as you, uh, you know, see Jesus teaching, there's always an element of uh, hidden, like, secrecy, you know, part of the kingdom. You know, he, Jesus, he explained parables to people, but a lot of people didn't understand. And then, you know, only his disciples later, he explained to them. And there's this element of secrecy. And just throughout Asia, ages, Asians, throughout ages, there was just this mystery of God, which was hidden from from all people, from all the Gentile nations, but even from the Jewish people, they wrote down these prophetic words, you know, about Jesus Christ, about the Messiah, but they didn't even know what they were fully talking about. There's this element of a mystery of God. There's secrecy. And what he's saying is, now it's revealed through Jesus Christ. This mystery that's been hidden for ages and ages, it's finally being revealed through Jesus Christ. And that's the whole uh, message that Paul's writing to this letter uh, to the church of Ephesus. And pretty much the first three chapters, he's talking about, you know, the glorious riches of God's grace in Christ. You know, that's where we're at right now. He's just saying, this is, you know, how glorious God's grace is. You know, the grace of Jesus Christ. And then uh, the last three is just talking about what that really means for, you know, us as a church, as individuals, and for the families. But, you know, for this specific portion, I'm just going to walk you through it. So, again, have your Bibles, your iPhones open. Uh, Let me just walk you through this passage where it says in verse 14, For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father. Pretty much he's saying, listen up. You know, for this reason. And you always got to take note of that. And uh, he says, saying, before the Father, as I just pray to him, listen up. This is why I'm praying to him. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Your inner being. It's your inner soul. It's your inner, you know, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you're made a new creation. Amen? 
you know, you become, uh, just as, you know, God begotten his only son, there's something that becomes new in you, something new that's born in you. And that's what he's talking about, your inner self, your inner being, so that, verse 17, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend uh, with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And this is what I really want to focus on tonight. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This word know, it doesn't mean just to know. If you really look at it, it's saying, you know, understand, perceive, become acquainted. He's saying, don't just know the love of Christ, but really understand it. You know, take it to heart. Don't just know about it, but really know, really know it uh, in depth. And actually, the Jewish, uh, the way they use this word know is a Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse between man and woman. Yes, I just said it. It's kind of awkward now, right? <laughs> hey, sex is a good thing. Let me just tell you that, okay? In marriage, all right? That's another message. But, yeah, we need to get, we need to just get married and uh, have a lot of sex. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, sex is good. In marriage. So, yeah, you know, you know sex, it's, it's the sign of the most intimate, you know, form of unity. When a man and woman literally become one, it's saying this is the deepest sense of unity and intimacy. And, you know, that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, don't just know about the love of Christ. He's saying become one with it. Become acquainted with it. Perceive it. Understand it. Be one with it. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do uh, increasing, immeasurably more, you know, far more abundantly uh, than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. And this word ask, it's not just saying, uh, you know, let me just ask you like a little question. Let me just, you know, ask you a, a, a light matter. But it's, it's saying something deeper too. It's saying, you know, beg. It literally means like crave. It means desire. It's pretty much saying the deepest desires of your heart. You know, whatever you ask, God could do immeasurably more. Whatever you could not just, you know, you know, just uh, really casually ask when you're just sitting down or, you know, just praying to God or you're just asking a teacher a question, asking a friend a question. It's not just that kind of ask, but it's saying ask from what you're craving, from the deepest heart's desire, what you're begging for. Even the, the thing you ask for, God could do immeasurably more. And this word think or imagine, it's, mean, it's saying, uh, yeah, what you perceive with your mind. It's saying what your mind is capable of thinking of. Okay, so, yeah, when you read this, I don't want you to just to think that it's a very light, ask, imagine, think kind of thing, but something, yeah, really from the depths of your heart. And again, you know, Paul's prayer, it's for this church in Ephesus. He's saying, I want you to know this love of Christ. I want you to know it so well that you make it your own. You know, be one with it. Be one with this love of Christ. You know, know the love of Christ because it is able to do immeasurably more and all that we ask or think of. More than what you could possibly ask for. More than the deepest desires of your heart. More than all that your mind can perceive or you're even capable of thinking of. Know this love of Christ because it could do immeasurably more than that. Know this love. And you know, there's many examples in the Bible of uh, people whom uh, God showed his love in ways that were immeasurably more than what they asked or imagined or even thought of. For example, you got uh, Abraham, this, this, uh, this old guy. He's like 75 years old, right? And he's part of this uh, pagan, like, moon-worshipping village. Uh, and, you know, he, 
he really didn't have much ahead of him. You know, he's kind of he's kind of old pangu, old, old fart. You know, he's kind of like an old dude. You know, he's just he's just kind of nearing the end of his life in a sense. And really, if you think about it, the the best life he could have thought of, the best life he could have thought of was just let me own more property. You know, let me get some some more uh, farmland. Or you know, I think he. No, he didn't even have farms. He had, like, he, him and his family, they made uh, idols, like, to uh, worship the moon gods. And, you know, he was like, let me just get more wealth. And he couldn't, he couldn't even leave a legacy. His uh, wife, Sarah, was barren. The best life he could have thought of was just, you know, getting a little richer, getting a little fatter, and then just, just kind of dying, you know, living a peaceful life. But what happens? You know, God encounters him. And in Genesis 12, 2, 3, it says, And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I don't think this was on Abraham's, you know, grid. I don't think this was on his radar at all. This old pangu, you know, he could have, he just thought like, man, I got like 20 years left, maybe, maybe 30, 40 years left, you know, and I, I could just, yeah, I, I'm just going to live a good life. You know, I'm going to buy like a pet horse and, you know, a pet dog. Or, you know, there's not, I can't even have a son. He couldn't, that wasn't even on his radar. But God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make descendants come from you as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the sands in the sea, right? He's saying, I will bless you and you will be blessed to be a blessing. His actual life, he was actually a friend of God, he says. And he's the only one in the Bible that says he's a friend of God. And, you know, God does immeasurably more than what we can even ask or imagine. Amen? And then you got this guy, Moses. Moshes. That's how you say it in uh, Hebrew. That was like my, the only word I remember in my Hebrew class is <laughs> Moshesh. And, uh, you know, he was this Egyptian prince, right? He was, uh, you guys know the story. They were slaughtering all the uh, Hebrew boys, the firstborn sons. And then, you know, they, uh, the mother you know, dr- throws him in the water in the little reed basket. And then anyone here see uh, Prince of Egypt? Yeah. Back in the day, that was my movie, man. And then, you know, they're, they're uh, hiding, you know, and they're kind of going around the guards. And then, you know, alligators about to chomp that weed, reed basket. Not weed basket, reed basket. Ooh, and then, uh, you know, he's... Uh, He's going, you know, for his, you know, and then the, the sister, what's his name? Miriam, just like chasing. She's like singing a song. Where is my little brother? Is he alive? There he is. Oh, and he's found. You know, and then he just gets saved by the, uh, the Egyptian queen, right? And she's like, oh, snap. This is, I'm going to take this baby, you know? And then she just takes his baby. Adoption was weird back then, you know? And it was a lot easier, at least. And, you know, takes the baby and then raises him up. And, you know, Mo- Moshe's. He becomes the prince, the prince, the prince of Egypt, you know? What was the song again? I'm trying to remember it right now. Okay, never mind. Uh, so he's the prince of Egypt, you know? And, you know, let's think about this. If he stayed in Egypt, the best life he could have had, he, he wasn't the first son because, again, he was adopted, but his older brother would have been, the, the king Pharaoh, right? So even the best life you know, Moses could have had was just simply living in the shadow of his older brother or, or his adoptive father, right? But he didn't even stay in Egypt. What happens? He, you know, he uh, kills this guard that's 
you know, beating up a Hebrew slave. It's not like Prince of Egypt. That's not theologically correct, guys. That's not biblically sound where, you know, he throws the guard off and then, and the brother's like, what are you doing? Uh, Moses, come back. And he runs away. It's not like that. No, Pharaoh actually wanted to kill him. He actually wanted to, you know, get his life. He was like, almost like, man, after all I did for you, you treat my, my, uh, my guards like that. You kill a guard. Like he was after Moses' life. So Moses had to run, you know, for his life, literally. So he's in this wilderness. He meets this guy, Jethro, you know, this really jolly guy in the, in the movie, at least. And, you know, he's got the beard and colorful robe and everything. And he's just, uh, they're singing a song. He adopts him. And then he, you know, lets his daughter, you know, marry, marry Moses, right? And, you know, he's just chilling. He, this guy was a prince. He was the most highly educated, uh, or, you know, he received the best education in the best nation at that time. And he goes from that being this arrogant, educated, intellectual guy, runs away, goes to the wilderness. He starts shepherding some nasty sheep. You know, uh, for those of you who are here at uh, Hillside a couple weeks ago, Pastor uh, Leo, he was our guest speaker, and he said he actually went to a sheep, a farm, you know, a sheep farm. And he said they were the most, you know, like nasty looking they're just like stinky like they're nothing like uh i used to have this old niv bible where jesus is holding a sheep and he's smiling like she's in it was like a little lamb all you know well groomed and and clean and white sheep don't really look like that apparently you know and moses goes from royalty to shepherding some nasty sheep you know and he's just chilling there And, and what happens is even when god encounters him and says, no, you got to let my people, go. you got to go and free my people, Israel. He's like, I'm stuttering, you know, he starts stuttering. And, you know, he's like, get my brother, you know, get my brother Aaron. And he's just like, like, what happened to him, right? He was this top intellectual, he was a prince. He's not even secure anymore. He's got a stutter to his speech, you know. He loses all that, but, you know, even before God met him, he could have thought, the best life he could have is just, you know, being, having more sheep, you know? Maybe the best life he could have imagined he had was have cleaner sheep or something, right? Like, you know, less stinky sheep. You know, and you have these two lives he could have lived. In Egypt, he could have lived in the shadow, or this other life he could have lived as a dirty sheep shepherd, right? And, but what happens, right? His actual life, what does God do? He makes him become the greatest emancipator known in history. Through Mo- Moses, he frees a whole nation, millions of people. What actually happened in Moses' life was he delivered not just a nation, but he delivered God's chosen nation, God's chosen people. And it says that he even experienced the very glory of God. He said, Lord, I want to show me your glory. That's where we get that song. Show me your glory. Nobody knows the song. Okay, I'm going to lead it next week then. Uh, you know, that's where we get that song. Oh, my gosh. That's where we get that song. Show me your glory. All right? Because Moses was like, Lord, show me your glory. And God was like, man, if I show you my glory, you're going to die. Because, man, my glory is so, so good. So what, what he says is, you know, Moses, go, go chill behind that rock. And I'm just going to walk past you. And he just walks past him. You know, God probably moonwalked too. You know, he's probably... Best dancer ever, and he just sees the back of uh, of God's you know glory, and and then it says that Moses' face was just shining, 
you know, light was just, he was just radiating. He was glowing. He was like as beautiful as uh, David O was calling everyone in this room earlier, right? He was, Moses beautiful, Moshe was beautiful at that time. And his actual life, he experienced the very glory of God. I don't think he would have thought or imagined that all those things would have happened. He would have been, you know, named the greatest emancipator in the history of the world. You know, the, the guy who actually saw the very glory of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than what we can ask or imagine, according to the power at work within us. And if, there's, uh, if you're taking notes, there's three ways I just want to uh, show you how you could do this. So the first application point is immeasurably ask. Now to him is, who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine. You got to ask God. Again, I said asking. It's, it's asking. It's begging. It's desiring the things like, that are on your heart. The deepest desires of your heart. It's not just saying ask, but it's almost saying beg. You know, that's what Paul's actually writing here. And he's saying, measurably ask God for this. Measurably ask God for, you know, his love. Measurably ask God to, yeah, just give him a, a greater knowledge of him. Measurably ask for Christ to dwell in your heart, as it says earlier in the verse. Ask for more of God. Ask for more of his love. Ask for a deeper revelation of Jesus Christ. Because what Paul is saying is, it's impossible to ask God for too much. His capacity for giving far exceeds his people's capacity for asking or even imagining. Let me say that one more time. Paul is saying it's impossible to ask God for too much. His capacity, God's capacity for giving far exceeds his people's capacity for asking or even imagining. In the late 19th century, there was this guy named D.L. Moody. Anyone heard of this guy before? All right, there's this uh, school named after him in Chicago. Anyone here from Chicago? Yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah, I took a road trip there. It's a beautiful city. It's definitely better than, than Philly, I'll, I'll admit that. But uh, at least cleaner. You know, we got a lot more history. We got the Liberty Bell and cheesesteak. Hallelujah. Uh, anyways, yeah, D.L. Moody, right? There's this uh, school named after him. But uh, there's a reason why this school is named after him. Uh, what... He, who he was during this time was he was the director of this ministry called uh, the YMCA, you know, Young Men's Christian Association. It's, it's worldwide, YMCA, and it's a different meaning now. Uh, you know, he was the director of the YMCA uh, in Chicago. Uh, he was a pastor of a thriving church. And whenever he preached, I mean, he saw like thousands of people come to Christ. He was like, yeah, he just had an anointing. He had really a power and authority when he spoke the word of God that yeah, people would just feel the presence of God. And uh, before he really hit that kind of that ministry where he just started flourishing and he just experienced the power of God, how that actually happened was one time actually uh, while he was preaching. So let's say I'm preaching like this and then I see, you know, uh, two people just like, like praying, you know, in the back in the corner, they're just praying like, Oh, Lord, help them, you know, and they're just, they're just praying. Like, that's kind of like what happened. There's these two fiery women just praying while D.L. Moody was preaching. And then D.L. Moody goes to them after him, and he says, uh, after he preaches, he goes to them, and when he sees their fervent prayer, he responds by saying this. There came a great hunger into my soul. 
I did not know what it was, and I began to cry out as I never did before. I really felt that I did not want to live if I could not have this power for service. So what happened was Moody asked the two women to pray with him every Friday afternoon until he received the same powerful anointing of the Holy Spirit that these women experienced. He was saying, I can't live, I can't eat, I can't sleep, I can't breathe, I can't go on. I, something came upon me, man, I'm, I'm hungering for something deeper. There's something deep in my heart that I want more of. And he's, he's, you know, he was seeking God's face ultimately, but he was even asking these two women, pray with me every week. Pray with me every week until I experience this, this something that will just quench this thirst that I have, that will meet this hunger that I have. You know, he wants, he wanted more of God, and he asked for more of God. And, you know, even for myself, when I was in college, and I, I remember just always asking, Lord, Lord, I want more of you. You know, just as we were singing, you know, I want more of you, God. You know, I just, that was like the prayer of my heart. You know, I grew up in the church, uh, I'm a pastor's kid, and if anyone here is a PK or MK, they, they know the problems that come with that, uh, but, or potentially can come with that. I'm sorry. Um, there's good PKs and bad PKs. You could guess which one I was. But, you know, so I had my rebellious stage up to college, uh, and college was when I really came back to the Lord. You know, I, I felt like, man, I tasted what the world could offer, and, uh, you know, just... It just, it just wasn't satisfying anymore. So when I came to college, I met a similar ministry like Emmaus. It's called Campus Crusade for Christ. And that's when I was like, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I just really was like, Lord, I'm coming back to you. Uh, I'm, I'm coming back to you, right? And, you know, when I had that hunger, because, man, let me tell you, this generation, where you're at right now, you got something special. You know, you're, the fact that you're here in Hanguk, in Korea, this nation that, you know, probably some of you guys didn't even hear or know of when you were younger, but now everyone knows because of that guy named Sai. You know, like, the fact that you're here, this generation is special. Like, 100 years ago, if your dad's last name was Smith, guess what you would have been? A Smith. You know, if your last name was Baker, you would have been a Baker, you know. And, and we had no choice for our destiny. We had no choice of where we wanted to be, even like 100 years ago. But, you know, this generation, there's... You guys have this freedom to do what you want. And, and just the youth in general, and every time in history, God's used the youth in powerful ways. In powerful ways. Whether it was for, you know, the youth changed the nations. Whether it was for um, ministry or whether it was for politics. Whether, you know, whatever it was, this, where you guys are at right now. The, you know what you're called? You're called the powerful 1%. You ever heard that term? If you're a campus crusade, you heard that term. But, you know, it's powerful 1% because only... 1% of this world are college students. 1% of this whole world have the privilege to go to college. And you have this opportunity to learn and grow and to have influence in greater ways. And, you know, when I was uh, like your age, and just to, just to clarify, I'm not that much older than y'all, okay? So I forgot who I talked to like a month or two ago, but someone thought I was significantly older than than I actually was. I heard early 30s, late 30s. I'm going to call you out. No, I'm just playing. Um, I'm 25, just, just to let you know. Yes. I'm... God is real, yes. Um, I'm 25. I'm only a quarter century years old. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
it's, I know, man, the wisdom I carry and like, man, you, when you meet me, you're like, wow, this guy's so freaking wise. Like he must be 40, you know, (laughs) I know that's why you thought I was older, but I'm 25. All right. I'm 25. And that's American age, right? All right, American age. I'm 25. I'll do that 26 Korean age stuff. Um, but yeah, when I was only a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I was just asking the Lord when I was in college. I was like, Lord, I want more and more of you. And that was a, you know, uh, just a cry in my heart. And I just, man, I, Christian life's an adventure. You know that? Because what you realize is, man, when you think you experience the goodness of God, and you experience the fullness and everything you can, God takes you deeper. God matures the level and the knowledge of love that you have for him. God shows you what it really means to walk with him. He makes the word of God become alive. Even, even if you read it a thousand times before, he, he shows you something different, right? And, you know, in the same way, like, after I graduated, I went to Tokyo for a year, and, you know, God showed me a lot of things there. I was doing a one-year uh, missionary work there with CCC, very similar to Amazed again, and you know, God's just showing me like, wow, He's He's really moving in this nation, you know. And I was there during the whole tsunami earthquake time, and I was in Tokyo though, so you know, I didn't get the tsunami, but you know, we got a level seven earthquake. It was mass scary because you know, East Coast we don't get earthquakes, but uh, during the whole nuclear radiation threat, man, I did not want to leave, but my director like forced us to to leave Japan because parents were going buck wild for my teammates, and they're saying like. You got to take our kids out of this country. You know, they're going to grow a, a fourth arm or something and, you know, another eyeball, you know, or, or get some superpowers or something, right? I would have been down for that. But, you know, so they're telling us we got to get out of this country because of nuclear radiation. So we came to Korea for two weeks, and it worked out where I was able to come to New Philly, uh, a retreat we're having that, that weekend. That's when I met Jisoo for the first time. She was in my small group. And I was like, wow, there's Koreans in Africa? In Togo, and I was just like so mesmerized by that, by that fact. And um, but more than more than Chisu being from Togo, I, I was blown away from just you know what God was doing in Korea and in in that in the church in New Philly. And He was just taking me deeper and deeper. And now I'm actually living here. But uh, you know that's what happens when you follow the Lord. He takes you beyond what you can ask or even imagine. And you know even when I first came here, I was just asking God. Uh, give me more anointing, whatever that means. <laughs> give me more authority. Lord, I want to I wanna see, like, because, you know, one of the core values for New Philly is uh, supernatural is natural. Okay? And how many of you know that our God is a supernatural God? What's natural to him is supernatural to us. You know, this God who, you know, did the ten plagues. And even the littlest things, like, I've been reading Exodus these days where uh, they went to the waters of Mara, which means bitter, right? And the waters are bitter. And then... Moses cries out to the Lord, and then it says that he found a, a log. He found a little stick, and it says he just threw the stick in, and it became sweet. You know, like little things like that, that's, that, it just naturally, supernaturally became sweet. You know, that's the kind of God that we serve and, and, and we live for, right? And I was just asking God, I've never seen this before. I've only heard of, like, these crazy stories, like people coming back, you know, to life from the dead and, you know, uh, limbs growing out and, uh, you know, blind seeing and all these stuff, but I was like, I don't really know what that means, but I'm going to ask. I was like, God, I want, I want to ask this, not just so I could be like, you know, telling my friends or updating my Facebook status, like, I just saw an arm grow. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hashtag, right? Like, I'm not going to say, 
I, don't, I, don't, I wasn't asking just for that, but I was asking God, show me these things. I want to see this part of you. I want to see this side of you, this supernatural side of you that I read in this book, but I don't see in my own life. And I was asking God, and, you know, three, two, three months later, I go to uh, my first New Philly mission trip, and we go to Nepal. Anyone here from Nepal? She's not from Nepal, but... Um, <laughs> Tirimakas. Oh, wait. Oh, that's not, that's not, that's not, uh, the Nepalese. How do you say thank you again in Nepali? I don't think you remember either. So, uh, yeah, we went to Nepal. I went to Nepal with a bunch of, uh, May staff and, uh, Che was there. And, um, yeah, that was like, I was like, Lord, I don't know what to expect from this trip, but, you know, I've been praying for some supernatural stuff. Just show me your glory. And I was just like, let, let me just, you know, see what happens. And I go and, uh, man, we took, how long was that bus ride, Che? That was like eight hours, right, of, of hard up and down, you know, on the Himalaya mountains. And uh, that was the most physically demanding trip I've ever been on. <laughs> like, I've been to, you know, Kazakhstan, uh, Guatemala, Mexico, all these places. But, man, Nepal was the hardest, most physically enduring country I've ever been to because it was so cold when we went. And at one point, we all had diarrhea, diarrhea. And... Uh, <laughs> Man, there was so much grace, though, because we were on that eight-hour bus ride, the bumpiest bus ride where there was no rail, and, you know, we could have just fallen off any time. Thank God there were angels, like, protecting us. We didn't get diarrhea in that eight-hour, you know, bus ride. Praise Jesus. And, you know, we, we get to this place, uh, like a small village, eight hours out from the, um, from the capital of Nepal, and we just meet all these people who are just hungry for the Lord. And... There was probably like almost 200 people that came from like local churches around there and, and they're just hungering and, and you know, just, they just want to experience God in a tangible way. And what I didn't realize was they never experienced that before too. Just what I was praying, like, Lord, show me anointing, show me your glory. They were praying the same kind of thing, but they never experienced that too. So I came with that hunger. They came with this hunger and we're, uh, there's some praise and uh, one of the pastors speaks the word about the reign of the Holy Spirit. And we're like praising and praying and nothing's happening for 40 minutes. We're just praying and, and people are just like standing still or we're praying or we're standing still again. We're praising, we're standing still and nothing's happening. And then finally, uh, the pastor, he says, all right, we're just going to lift up our hands and just receive from the Lord. And then while everyone does that, the whole time everyone was playing music, but even the keyboardist was like, and then he starts lifting his hand up and then it gets mad silent mad awkward because you hear like dogs barking outside you hear like babies crying and mom's like trying to change their diapers and and then uh the pastor goes like hey hey play, keep playing the music but he was he was out he was just like in third heaven like and then he just goes And then he lets out this groan from the depths of his heart. And bam, power of the Holy Spirit just came. And people just started, you know, physically shaking, feeling the power of God. And I remember I was just like uh, trying to catch people. And everyone was like this close to each other, right? We're like sardines in a can. And people are falling, but I had to lift them up. And I was like Tetris, man. I was like, (laughs) you know, I had to go put you here and and i was just catching people and, and my shoe came off and then um you know 
was just, I was just catching people, and people were just falling. And again, they never experienced this before, ever. So it was so bad that the pastors in the back were like getting angry. They're, we saw these angry men in the back, like, and then they just they actually started like kicking and like trying to grab these these people up who were getting slain in the Holy Spirit. Slain in the Holy Spirit means when the power of God comes upon you in a tangible way, right? But when they're getting slain in this way. Yeah, they just start like, what's wrong with you in Nepali? And they start, but then they're like, you know, they just fall again. And they're like so confused what is happening. And again, you know, I was saying, Lord, I want, I want to experience that. You know, I want to know what anointing means to, you know, deliver your people, to, to, to heal the brokenhearted and all these things, right? And I remember after I started catching, because I think my team saw how tired I was, they, I started praying for people too. And I'm praying, and I'm just like, Lord, shine your light. You know, bless this woman of God and, and all this stuff. And then uh, what happens is um, when, once I said Jesus, she started, like, like, like gagging. She was like, <laughs> It wasn't that funny at the time. But, man, I remember she was just like, I was like, Lord, bless her in Jesus' name. <laughs> I was like, what the heck is that? She just passed gas or something. And then I was, yeah, Lord, I just pray, light of your face shine upon her in Jesus' name. Again, I was like, hold up. I think I read up, I heard about this before. I think she's like demonized or something. And then, yeah, what I found out was a demonic manifestation. And just to uh, break off any spirit of fear that may be in this room, it's not like the exorcist, all right? You know, it wasn't like the girl went upside down and started walking, you know, on her her hands and, and feet. You know, it wasn't like that. If that happened, I would have laughed, but no, you know, she's like gagging and I was just like, my prayers went from blessing to, I bind you and I cast you out in the name of Jesus, Jesus name and, and all that. And, and, uh, yeah, it was funny because Pastor Myungwa, she's one of the pastors at Hillside campus. Uh, she saw that and then she's like, okay, like, let me take over. And then she delivers and that happened again. And then next season, uh, when we went to, uh, Indonesia, when I went with, uh, Rebecca and a bunch of other people, uh, same thing happens. And then it's funny because I'm like, bless her Lord in Jesus. Oh, crap. And then bite you up. And then Pastor Myoma comes and she's like, oh, my gosh, again? And then she's just like. So we're like this tag team where we're like, we grab the mic. And then, you know, we're this like duo team where I make the manifestations come up. And then she just binds them and casts out the demons, right? And, again, I didn't know that. I could do that. Not I could do that. God could do that through me. But I didn't know that that anointing in my life to, you know, shine his light, to make, you know, demons just, like, manifest in that way. I didn't know that was all my life. But it came after a season of me asking for it. And a time will come when you're, you may be ready for it, or you may not be ready for it like I was, but there, may, there will be a time where the Lord answers your prayer and he's going to answer the things that are on your heart, the deepest desires of your heart, the things that you're asking for. Because when you ask him, you're asking in a way that's pleasing him, you know, because he's saying, hey, wow, my precious child, he has the faith to ask me, you know, for this. Even though he, he knows nothing about it, he may not even be sure what he's asking for. But man, he's, he's asking for me like a little precious child that's coming towards me, right? So yeah, my first application point is immeasurably ask. My second application point is this, immeasurably receive. You have to receive from him immeasurably. 
Simply receive his grace because it's all about his grace. Amen? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine according to the power at work within us. When it says now to him, him is referring to God. And it's a God who is able to do immeasurably more in our lives because of the power, because of this power, dunamis, the word where we get dynamite, the power that's at work in us, it's God working through us. And this word power, it, just, it doesn't mean just physical or uh, moral power in the natural. It has that element in that word too. But there's also the supernatural power. The same supernatural power that you see in performing miracles, that same power is at work within us. So God is working in us, you know, through this power. And it's the same power that casted out demons, you know, it's the same power that healed the sick, you know, raised Christ from the dead. It's, it's working in you. That's what Paul's saying. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ, that's working in you. That's God working in you through that power. And all you got to do is receive it. Let the supernatural power of God work within you by receiving his grace. This guy named Jim Simbola, he's a pastor of this church from, uh, in Brooklyn. It's called Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. And uh, it's, a, man, it's a powerful church there. First of all, it's, it's breaking like all borders of like uh, racial barriers because it's a Caucasian white pastor who's like not ordained, not, he didn't go to seminary. He was just a guy who grew up in Brooklyn. He played basketball. Like he was a basketball coach. His father-in-law was the pastor of that church. And he was kind of like, son, why don't you pastor this church for a bit? Long story short, he becomes like the lead pastor of this like mega church in Brooklyn. It's like thousands of people. And Brooklyn's like predominantly black, African-American, uh, you know, community. And they're literally like in the heart of Brooklyn where they're here, and then the next block over is, like, prostitutes. You got drug, crack addicts right down the street. They're literally a, a light shining in darkness. And they got crazy testimonies. If you uh, ever read uh, their books, it's called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. It's a really powerful book on prayer. Jim Simbala, C-Y-M-B-A-L-A, if you're interested. Um, but, yeah, they have crazy testimonies of, like, homosexual, HIV, AIDS, uh, you know, people who, who become Christian, and they get healed of their AIDS. And they have, like, a wife and kids now. And it's just, like, powerful stories of this transformation uh, that came from the gospel. And this is what he says. He says, God intends to do through us what only he can do. The issue is not our ability, but rather our availability to the person of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that one more time. God intends to do through us what only he can do. The issue is not our ability, but rather our availability to the person of the Holy Spirit. It's about God's grace. Amen? It's about that amazing grace that we always sing about whenever I lead praise. You know, it's, it's about that amazing grace because it's not about what we have done, but it's about what God has done through the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? So all you got to do is receive. All you got to do is, is just open up your hands, open up your heart, and just receive. You know, when you get a gift, it's exactly a gift. It's something that's given to you. You don't have to work for it. I hope none of you guys had to work for a Christmas gift or a birthday gift, you know. No, you don't have to work for it. Your parents just gave you a gift because they love you. Your friends, you know, gave you a gift. bought David O. that skateboard because, you know, they, they just love him. He didn't do anything to deserve that skateboard. But, man, they gave it to him because it was just a free gift. And what did David O. do? He said, thank you, and he just took it 
You know, and he just went, right? He received it. That's a true son right there. You know, he, he just, you got to receive that gift. You got to receive that, that grace that's from God. Grace is exactly that. It's not what you have done, but what God has done for us. Application number three. Immeasurably surrender. So we got immeasurably ask, immeasurably receive, and immeasurably surrender. Say it with me, immeasurably surrender. You got to surrender anything that's getting in the way between you and God. I think one of the um, things that Satan really uses to, to attack, you know, Christians, it's not, it's not like sexual morality. It's not drugs. It's not crack, you know, drinking all, you know, God, I mean, not God. Yeah, God doesn't use that. Satan, he, he'll use that to really bring down uh, Christians, but one other thing he uses is indifference. He makes you feel indifferent. He makes you feel like, man, where I'm at, I'm content. Like, man, God's good. I'm saved. You know, I'm not dating that abusive boyfriend anymore. Hallelujah. I'm not, you know, in bondage to sin, to sex, to sex out of marriage. Uh, you know, I'm not in bondage to, uh, you know, smoking, drinking, all this stuff. I'm good where I'm at. I'm content. That's something Satan loves to do. He makes you just feel like, man, you're good where you're at. There's no need for change. There's no need for more. And what I'm here to tell you tonight is don't be content, but hunger for more. You know, after the Israelites, they came out of Egypt, they went into the wilderness, right? And uh, they immediately start complaining, and uh, God gives them manna and quail and, and does all these things. But because they complained, what happens? That generation, they all died off, right? Forty years later, Joshua takes over, and he's saying, we're going to the promised land. You know, we're going for what we came out of Egypt for. They go, and as soon as they're crossing the Jordan River, you think that this thing, this dream that the Israelites were just dreaming for for generations of the promised land, you think all of them would want to go to the promised land, right? The land flowing with milk and honey, whatever that looks like. You know, whenever I read that, I was like, what does that even mean? Like... Like milk waterfalls or something. Milk falls, I guess. That's what they call it. But, you know, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Beautiful. And they heard these stories. You know, their parents, their uncles, they all sadly died off. And now it's like their turn to like, we're finally, we're finally going to this promised land. We're finally going to the land of milk and honey, right? And they're going. But you know what's interesting? All the 12 tribes, they, they didn't want to go. What, what ends up happening is this tribe of Reuben, tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Manasseh, uh, yeah, these two and a half tribes, they don't want to go. Because what happened was before they crossed the Jordan River, they fought this one uh, battle, and they took over the city, and then they're like telling Moses, hey, Moses, 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 man, look, we've been walking around this desert for 40 years. Like, I've, I've seen that same cactus plant for 40 years now. I'm so tired. I don't want to go to a promised land. Like, we just fought this battle. There's some good stuff right here, man. Look at this little city that used to be a city, but we destroyed. You know, we want to stay here. It's nice here. Me and, and the one and a half other tribes, we're going to stay here, you know. And we'll, we'll go over and we'll, we'll cross the Jordan. Because they actually crossed the Jordan. And they helped fight some other battles. But what happened was they, they actually went back. They crossed the Jordan. They recrossed the Jordan. They went back, and they're like, we're going to settle here. We're going to settle here. It's not the promised land. 
We don't see no milk and honey here, but we're, we're good with that. We're content with that. And what happens is, yeah, they saw the promised land. They fought for it. They even fought for it. They lost, some of them lost their lives, but then they came back and they settled on the other side. And I got this from my um, Bible reading plan on the Bible app for those of you guys who have it. You version Bible reading plan devotional. Uh, I just got to quote that. Um, so yeah, let me just read that to you. It says, you say, as in when you're looking at the two and a half tribes, Reuben, Gad, a half tribe of Manasseh, you say how foolish they were, but not any more foolish than some of us who have experienced the power and blessing of God and retreated to a quote unquote safer spot to live a quieter life. I know of no greater tragedy for the Christian than to live a life on the basis of that which is second best. These two and a half tribes were not made up of bad people. They were just disobedient to God in the simplest sense. They decided, this is as far as I will go. This is the highest level to God that I am willing to make. I'm not going to grow. I'm not going to go all the way with him. So what God does is he looks at those who says, far enough. And he says, come up higher. But when to do so would mean giving up pleasures, they grow faint and lose heart. For foregoing the full victory and blessing and peace the Father has set aside for his children. You can have as much of God as you really want. Let me say that one more time. You can only have as much of God as much as you really want him. It starts with his grace. You know, it, it's, with, it's uh, during his grace, it's, and it ends with his grace. But you can only have as much as God, as much as you actually want him, as much as you actually pursue him. You decide the level at which you will pursue the things of God. You guys are all grown adults now. You don't live with your parents anymore. Actually, some of you guys may, but that's all good. But, you know, for the most part, you're independent. And you're going to be more independent as time goes on. And you're not going to have people telling you what to do in a sense. You have the power to decide if you're going to pursue the things of God. And what God is saying is, are you going to pursue me? What are you not surrendering? You and I are not saved just to be safe from hell. We are saved to come into right relationship with God and claim his full blessings and promises. In John 12, 12, it says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know, God, he doesn't want you just to have salvation. He doesn't want you just to have that ticket to go to heaven, but he wants you to live life abundantly. There's a promised land flowing with milk and honey, flowing with the promises that God has for you. Are you going to be like the two and a half tribes staying on the other side of the Jordan River just because it's a little hard to cross this river? Are you going to be content with what you're familiar with, with what you're comfortable with, or are you going to go for what God has in store for you? You got to surrender. You got to immeasurably surrender. But the good thing about that is, you know, a lot of times we feel like God, he wants to, we feel like God's just asking us, Lord, how much do you want to take from me? Man, I gave you, I broke, I broke up with that girl. I gave my tithes and offerings, you know, all these things. And we're saying like, Oh, again, God, I have to give you more. I got to, I got to come to Tuesday large group and hear this beautiful man speak again. Oh, okay. I don't mind that Lord, but you know, and, and you know, we, we say like, God, how much, how much more do I have to give for you? Like, are you, are you measuring it out for me? Are you writing it in your, 
you know, God, Microsoft, Excel sheet and, you know, filling it up in the book of life so that when we come, you're going to show me. That's the kind of feeling we have sometimes, right? But God doesn't want to take from you to see how much he can receive from you. He takes so that he can give you the better things he has stored for you. God doesn't want to take from you to see how much he can receive from you, but he wants to take from you so that he could give you the better things that he has in store for you. Amen? And the good thing, again, is God's a good father. He'll give you more than you can handle sometimes, but he'll give you exactly what you need. And even if it's not on your radar, even if you can't imagine or, you know, ask and you think it's not something that you ask, God says, I could do measure you more than what you can ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within you. And one of the best ways, and this is not just like a cheap plug-in for Fuego retreat, you know, I'm not, I'm not just throwing it out there, but man, if something's in your heart that's just holding, that's keeping you from I'm coming to this retreat. It's not about the retreat, all right? We don't care about this retreat, okay? Man, like we, it's not, it's not so that like, oh, snap, we got to meet the numbers that we prayed for so we don't look stupid. You know, it's not that. It's not like, man, if we don't have enough students, we're going to have to pay out of our own pocket. You know, it's not, nothing like that. But the reason why I'm saying go to retreat or all your staff around you and student leaders and your familiar leader and you know, everyone's leader or whatever is telling you to come to this retreat is because, man, when you're going to come, you're going to meet God in a powerful way. Because when God sees that, man, you're willing to just even take a little small step in front of him, he's going to take a giant leap towards you. He's running after you. It's like the prodigal son, right? When he came back, he was just grudgingly, like, just coming back, head down, slowly walking over. And what happens? You have the prodigal father running after him. He throws the robe of righteousness upon him. He puts rings on his finger. He hugs him. He embraces him. And in that same way, man, when you take that little step, little step towards him, when you say, God, you can have not just some of me, but all of me. Not only are you the Lord of my life, but the Lord of my whole life. God's pleased with that. And God could do so much with that. You got to immeasurably ask. You got to immeasurably receive. You got to immeasurably surrender to the Lord. Amen. Let me just pray.